Continuing our sermon series today, Too Busy Not to Pray. If, you were, if you've joined us for the last three weeks, uh, you've heard me uh, talk about how we should pray and uh, how Jesus taught the disciples how to pray. And then he uh, mentions this is the template of prayer. This is how you should pray. And then last week, we talked about tuning in listening in prayer. Uh, This week, I thought we were going to be done, and the Holy Spirit said, no, we got one more week. And so next week, we are starting a a new sermon series. I'm so excited to be teaching on Nehemiah. And uh, so I want you to invite people to it, because it's going to be a sermon series that I believe is going to help you in your life, in your business, in your home. And so make sure you do that. But today, I want to talk to you about the subject of standing firm. Standing firm. Uh, what, is, what do I mean by standing firm and what does it have to do with prayer? Uh, I don't know if, if you're like me. Maybe you've said some prayers before. Maybe you've said some things uh, when you're in need and you prayed and you got on your knees and you prayed to God, and you said, God, would you fill in the blank for me? Would you come through for my friend? And a lot of times we do that on the front end of prayer, and we make our prayer requests known to God. But there is such a thing as standing firm after you prayed. So we talked about listening last week. I want to talk to you about the next step, which is after you pray, what do you do? After you pray, and you don't see your miracle just yet, what do you do? What are you supposed to do? Uh, That was one of the questions in my heart all week this week. And the Lord, uh, as typically as He does, began to stir something in my heart that I believe is going to bless you today. I want you to turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Uh, you know God speaking to a young pastor when he goes to Second Chronicles. That's not your first choice if you're thinking about, hey, what Bible verse did I hear when I was growing up? And it's amazing to me how God can speak through us and to us if we're attentive to the Holy Spirit. And it's available for everybody. You don't have to be a pastor to hear this. And from God, it's open to you. That's open access to you. In this chapter, there's three nations, the nation of Moab, Ammon, and Mount Seir that were in alliance with Jerusalem and Judah, with King Jehoshaphat for a long time. In fact, these three nations were spared from destruction when the Israelites with Joshua were going to the promised land. They were spared so much that God asked the Israelites to go around these three nations. He said, don't fight these three nations. Well, years later, Jehoshaphat is finding out that these so-called friends are now enemies and they are at the border of the kingdom of Jerusalem and of Israel and Judah. And not only are they at the border, they are 15 miles away. 
That's not too far, if you tell me. And I don't know about you, but if I was the king of a kingdom, and there's three nations 15 miles away that said they were friends and they're about to attack me, I would be in a little bit of crisis. And I think in life today, there's moments that can be overwhelmingly a crisis in our lives. And as Christians, we have to learn that we can't operate from crisis to crisis to crisis to crisis to crisis. That is not how God intended for us to live. It's not a place that we should learn how to exist. In fact, too often Christians live in a place where their mentality of facing crisis is to go ahead and let people know what's happening. And I've got to be honest, that's a good thing. Uh, if you, it, sometimes it's not if you're always on social media and you're telling everybody your business all over the map. Uh, but it's a good thing because that means that you have some sort of community in your life. But how many of you know that even though that we have community, there's a posture that we have to uh, live and believe that God is in charge of the crisis? So our prayer sometimes looks like this. God, I want you to remove my crazy boss. God, I want you to heal my sickness. God, I want you to provide money for me to go on that vacation to Jamaica, you know? And uh, what we think is that the, the Lord is some kind of genie in a bottle to our crisis. And, and there's nothing wrong with that, but that's really the first step of prayer, is to believe that God can come through for you. But there's another level of prayer that no matter what happens in your life, that you're not living in crisis, even though you may be experiencing crisis in your home life, family, in your workplace. This is where Jehoshaphat found himself. This place that all of us may be used to, the phone call that comes in in the middle of the night or the day, the, the kids that are no longer walking with the Lord and you raise them in church. And they don't even pretend anymore. Not only do they not go to church, they're maybe atheists here. And they deny the existence of God. The things that money can't buy, maybe you're here today and you're wanting a child and you're trying. And the doctors are helping and nothing seems to be happening. It's a crisis. And Jehoshaphat gives us a principle and that principle is simple. It is two words, and it is to stand firm. So I want us to read 2 Chronicles chapter 20. I want you to hang in there with me because we've got a lot of Scripture today. Can we do that? Yeah. All right. So I want you interacting with me, all right? Don't hold back. After this, the armies of the Moabites and the Ammonites and some of the Meunites, there's a lot of ites, declared war on Jehoshaphat. Messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army from Edom is marching against you from beyond the Dead Sea. They're already at En Gedi. En Gedi is this valley, is this place where there's an oasis. Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news. I think that's a normal reaction, amen? When we have crisis in our life, we are terrified, and that's okay because the Lord knows it. But check this out. He begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. 
So people from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek whose help? The Lord's help. Jehoshaphat stood before the community of Judah and Jerusalem in front of the new courtyard at the temple of the Lord. He prayed, O Lord, God of our ancestors, I want you to pay attention here, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You are ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. Oh, our God, I like that. He had a little bit of feeling, a little bit of unch behind it, you know, a little bit of punch, a little tenacity. Oh, our God, did you not drive out those who lived in this land when your people Israel arrived? And did you not give this land forever to the descendants of your friend Abraham? I want to be a friend of God one day. I want to be known to be a friend of God. Your people settled here and built this temple to honor your name. I want you to to hear this out. He has not presented his request yet. He is just telling the Lord the facts about who God is. They said, whenever we are faced with any calamity, such as war, plague, or famine, we can come to stand in your presence before this temple where your name is honored. We can cry out to you to save us, and you will hear us and rescue us. And now see what the armies of Ammon, he just a little slid it in there, you know, now see what the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir are doing. You would not let our ancestors invade those nations when Israel left Egypt. So they went around them and did not destroy them. Now see how they reward us, for they have come to throw us out of your land. Jehoshaphat knew that this was not his land, this was not their land, this was God's land, which you gave us as an inheritance. I like people like Jehoshaphat. They're the kind of people that walk into a room and they can see things even before it happens. They're the kind of people that some people might think they're visionaries, but they're, they're really not visionaries as much as they're believers of who God is because they know God to be true. Oh, our God, won't you stop them? Question mark. We are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. We do not know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. As all the men of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, wives and children. I love that. He didn't just mention children, men and wives. He mentioned little ones. Here's why it's kind of critical. It was an interruption for the entire two nations. It was a point for them to come and gather And it didn't matter if you were in the nursery, you're going to be here to hear this. A few weeks ago, we had 13 uh, children in the nursery and toddler room, and it was wild. I don't know if you were here during service, but you could hear them out here, and it was a good sound for me while I was preaching. I thought it was a good interruption. And it would be almost as if today, we would bring those 13 kids and their moms and dads, whoever's back there into the service. Let the kids crawl around, let them make some noise, let them cry a bit, but we're all in this together. This is what was happening. 
It was a good interruption. Verse 13 says, as all the men of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, wives, and children, the Spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there. His name was Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah, a Levite who was a descendant of Asaph. That's a lot of names. They loved they loved the generations. The Israelites did. He said, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem, listen, King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says. I want to be careful before I read this. There may be people that says, thus saith the Lord in your life. You have to be careful who you allow to prophesy over your life. I'm going to be honest. Some people have missed the mark in my life by a lot. And it's sometimes it's up to us to be kind and gentle to let people know when they miss the mark, hey, that, that didn't really resonate with me, but maybe try again next time, you know. <laughs> Just do it again, step out in faith and do it again. But sometimes... I've had words from the Lord that if I didn't have that word, I wouldn't be here where I'm at today. And so we are a Pentecostal church. That doesn't mean that we're out of order. It doesn't mean that we have to be weird all the time. It doesn't mean that we have to do things that are completely crazy. But it does mean that we have to be in a place where we're open to what the Spirit of God is saying. And sometimes it comes through other people. Sometimes it's revealed to other people. So the Lord says to this prophet, do not be afraid. He says to the people of Jerusalem and Judah, don't be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march out against them. You will find them coming up through the ascent of Ziz at the end of the valley that opens into the wilderness of Jeruel. But you will not even need to fight. Take your positions, then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. You, verse 18, then King Jehoshaphat bowed low with his face to the ground, and all of Judah and Jerusalem did the same, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites from the clans of Kohath and Korah stood to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud shout. Early the next morning, the army of Judah went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. On the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and said, listen to me, all you people of Judah, in Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God, and you will be able to stand firm. Believe in his prophets, and you will succeed. After consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. This is what they sang, give thanks to the Lord, his faithful love endures forever. 
At that very moment, they began to sing and give praise. The Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting amongst themselves. The army of Moab and Ammon turned against their allies from Mount Seir and killed every one of them. After they destroyed the army of Seir, they began attacking each other. So when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, all they saw was dead bodies lying on the ground as far as they could see. Not a single one of the enemy had escaped. King Jehoshaphat and his men went out to gather the plunder. They found vast amounts of equipment, clothing, and other valuables, more than they could carry. There was so much plunder that it took them three days just to collect it all. On the fourth day, they gathered in the Valley of Blessing, which, is, which got its name that day because the people praised and thanked the Lord there. It is still called the Valley of Blessing today. Then all the men returned to Jerusalem with Jehoshaphat leading them, overjoyed that the Lord had given them victory over their enemies. What do you do when you are in a crisis? What do you do when you've said the prayer and you've shed tears and you believe in God and you got your intercessors praying for you? What do you do after you have Pray. Jehoshaphat gives us a clue as to what we should do. Today, we're going to do two things. We're going to pray and learn to praise. That's what he did. The first thing he did was pray. He got on his feet and he said, I beg, he begged the Lord. What kind of king gets on his knees and begs somebody? Somebody that knows the king of all kings. See, when you're in the will of God and in a crisis, crisis can be a breeding ground for miracles. So instead of avoiding the crisis, would you take a moment, pray, and then learn how to praise God in the crisis? The first thing he does, he recognizes the great power of prayer. Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news, verse 3 says, and begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. So people from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. I want you to be honest. 21 days ago, I announced that we were going to do 21 days of prayer and fasting. What if I made it a requirement like they did back then in chapter 20? I don't know if you guys would be coming back. <laughs> Everybody that calls New Song their church home, you have to fast. See, what I love about this is two things. One was Jehoshaphat knew that it was not just about him. He knew that it would take everybody he knew that it would take everybody to begin doing what they're supposed to be doing in the supernatural. This is a spiritual function. He was not going to lead the people, leave the people out of it. And guess what he did? 
He said, hey, we're all fasting. Notice he didn't say praying. I love fasting because it gets your attention. There's nothing that we as Americans do more than care about eating and money. That's the reality. We're about eating and money. Someone messes with our food, we don't like it. Someone messes with our wallet, we don't like it. God uses those two things on purpose. Sometimes being generous is not just a tithing principle. It's a spiritual function in your life to see where you're at. And sometimes fasting is not something that's done just to see the miraculous in your life. It is to interrupt your world and for God to get your attention. That's what Jehoshaphat knew. And I love this because the, the people, they came from all the towns. Not only were they neighbors living next door, they came from all over to gather with the little ones, the children, the women and men, all interrupted together. There's great power in prayer. One of the things about the New Testament covenant is that we have access to the presence of God. One of the things I love about the Old Testament is that the Ark of Covenant was the presence of God. So literally, there was something about this temple. So they knew God was real because they could tangibly feel his presence around this place. We don't take advantage of the presence of God in our homes nowadays. We don't take advantage of the presence of God in our cars that we can actually pray to God while we're driving. We don't take advantage of the presence of God in the streets of Cleveland, in our schools, in Home Depot, wherever we're at. We don't take advantage of it because we always take it for granted. But these people knew that something special was going on, so they gathered because there's great power in prayer. The next thing he says is we need to pray specifically and rely on God. I want you to listen to his prayer. He prayed, oh Lord, God of our ancestors, not only our God, but you're my mom's God, my mom's mom's God, my mom's 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 God, my mom's 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 God. He was reaching far way back and he's saying, listen, you're the God of our ancestors. You alone are the God who is in heaven. You are the ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. Oh, our God, did you not drive out those who lived in this land when your people Israel arrived? Verse 12, oh, our God, won't you stop them? He didn't say destroy them. He said, stop them. He left it up to God what he wanted to do. Some of us need to learn that we have to pray specifically for God to show up in your situation. You may think you have the answer for the need that you have in your life, but you need to say yes to God's answer, not to yours. We need to learn to pray specifically and rely on God for what happens next. This is why there's joy for the Christian in the midst of the storm. This is why we can walk with confidence before the Lord. Because once we pray, it is not about our timing. It is about God's timing and us relying on God in the season. So what do you do when you prayed and you rely on God and you recognize 
the great power of prayer. What do you do on the other side of prayer? Do you just hide, shrink back when the prayer is not answered, when you know the enemies are coming, when you got situations in church, you got drama in church, and I want to have a family conversation here. Your pastor is aware of the last 25 years. I don't know about every single scenario that happened, but I want you to know something. If this church was going to die, it would have died a long time ago. It ain't going nowhere. God is in charge. God is in control. It is not about us. We have to learn to pray and get on the other side and begin to praise God for what he's going to do. I think some of us are so used to mediocrity in society, in your work, in your home, in your life, in your work ethic, that you bring that mediocrity into the presence of God. God is not a God of mediocrity. He's a great God. He's an able God. He's more than enough God. So what do we do? We have to learn to stand firm. Stand firm on the other side of prayer. When you begin to pray and you pour your heart out to God, on the other side of prayer, you need to learn to stand firm before the Lord. Jehoshaphat stays grounded. The first thing he does, he stays grounded before the Lord. Verse 15, he said, the prophet said to the people of Israel and King Jehoshaphat, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem, listen, King Jehoshaphat, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. See, whenever the Lord speaks something to you and you pray it through, the battle is not yours. It is God's battle. Some of us, we like getting in it. We like getting into the plan. Well, God gave me a dream, Pastor, to start filling the blank, a business, or he told me to start a ministry. And you can get into a place where you're so in a, in a place where you're thinking you have to fight the battle. You don't have to fight the battle. It is God's battle. It is God's dream. It is God's hope. You don't have to try so hard. Man, I don't know. When I'm seeing some, some of us pray, I got to be honest. I don't know if you're going to be surprised when God comes through or if you're going to be devastated that he actually had another answer for you. You got to get before God and you have to have a stance that is grounded before the Lord, that says to the Lord, Lord, this is your dream. This is your life. My home is your home. Everything that I have is yours. Therefore, the battle, when it is coming, because it will come, it is not my battle, but it is yours. Deuteronomy 32, 35, it talks about people. It talks about people. I know in scenarios and circumstances, everything's okay. We can say yes to the Lord, but when people are involved, it's hard, isn't it? Oh, man. I can say yes to not eating fast food anymore, Pastor. That's easy. But that brother right there that hurt me nine years ago, I don't know about saying yes to him. And how, how am I going to get repaid? 
Deuteronomy 32, 35, the Lord gives instructions to the Israelites. Vengeance is mine. Their foot shall slip in due time, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things to come hasten upon them. We have to learn that some of the people in our life that you want to repay, believe me, your pastor has some of those people too, you don't worry about repaying them. You make room for God to take care of business. You stay grounded in your faith. You stay grounded in your walk with God and begin to move towards what God has. Now, some of you guys are saying, that's Old Testament, Pastor. Well, I got a New Testament verse for you too. It breaks it down real simple. Romans 12, 17 to 19, repay no one evil for evil. Mahatma Gandhi says it this way, an eye for an eye and the world will go blind. He's not a Christian. He's also famous for saying if Christians really got a hold of Jesus, that the world would change. And here's a person who is not even a Christian that believes in the power of the gospel. And yet we as Christians, we're too busy unforgiving people. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. See, I like that verse in there because most of us will pray for the lightning bolt from heaven to come and kill somebody. We will. We're okay with saying, God, just kill them. Take them. We're, we're, we're good at praying that. Just take them home. Take them to heaven. Put them in another room, somewhere far from me. And we will pray these prayers. But here's what the gospel says. Live peaceably with what? All men. That means that, you know what, sometimes it's water and oil. You got to learn to have distance, but you got to live peaceably with each other. Every time I see people in a conversation and a nostril is flaring or you're getting upset and your emotions are up and going, you think that's peaceably having a conversation? No. You got to calm down. You got to allow the Lord in this space. You got to allow yourself to stay grounded, just like the prophet was speaking to the people of Judah and Jerusalem. The battle is not yours. It is God's. So that thorn, whatever it is in your life, recognize that it is God's battle, not yours. You have God in your back pocket, and you are too busy not using him. The second thing that we see in this chapter and this instruction from this prophet is to take position. Take your position. Verse 17 says this, but you will not even need to fight. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Some of us need to hear that. You're just like, I'm not a lover, Pastor. I'm a fighter. I mean, you, you, you need to take your position. The Lord's telling you to calm down a little bit. You will not even need to fight. Stop fighting everybody all the time. Everything's an issue. Everything's a problem. Everything's always upside down. The whole world's falling apart. Stop it. But you will not even need to fight. Take your positions. Get to where God has you assigned. Stop messing around. Stop thinking about other people. 
Go do what God has called you to do. Be who God's called you to be. Stop trying to be like somebody else. Stop trying to be like the cool person down the road. Stop trying to be like so-and-so and this person here and that person with this degree. And to be yourself. Take your position. Do not be afraid. See, we do this out of, fe- out of fear. I love this because, you know, every time an angel shows up or uh, there's a prophetic thing, there's always this, these four words. It always says, do not be afraid. Why? Because as Christians, when an angel actually shows up as believers, we're shocked and we're scared. Because why? It's a spiritual thing. What? An angel. If an angel was to appear right now before you would freak out. Why is it? This is why the instruction always comes and says, do not be afraid or discouraged. All of the insecurities that is in our life that comes to the surface, it is coming from fear. If you have an insecurity, I guarantee you, you have a fear. If you don't deal with the fear, you will live a life that is insecure. As a leader, as a volunteer, as a business person, men, women, children, if you have insecurities, it is coming from fear. You address the fear and you'll get rid of the insecurity. Take your position as a son and a daughter of God and believe in what he is saying and that you don't have to fight. It is his battle not yours. Romans 8.31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? What else do we need? Do we need fancier things? They're all going to rust and go away. If God is for us as believers, who can be against us? Isaiah 41.10 says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Thank you, God, that for the Kurovilla house, that I don't have to be afraid, that we don't have to be afraid, that we are living for God and we're in the will of God, not because we are pastors, but because we serve a great God. Thank God for grace to take positions. Amen? The next thing we see in the scripture is Jehoshaphat. Here's this instruction from the prophet. He humbles himself and he makes an announcement for victory even before victory happened. I told you I like Jehoshaphat. If you're going to be crazy, be the real right kind of crazy. Use your craziness a little bit for the things that's going to advance the kingdom of God. Use your little wild side to get out there and expand the kingdom of God. Stop getting in your little holy huddles, learning more Bible, and nothing's happening as a fruit of your life. And this is why. Because I can tell if you are living on faith or on something else. I can tell. You want to know how? Because you will never announce a victory unless you have faith. Now when you're like, well, pastor, I, uh, things, are, uh, things are not so good, but uh, I think God's going to come through. You don't think God knows that? We got to turn, turn back. We got to reset. 
we got to shake it off a little bit and say, God, I am announcing the victory even before I receive it. Verse 18, then King Jehoshaphat bowed low with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem did the same, worshiping the Lord. If we all just bowed before the Lord, nose to the carpet here, you'll recognize two things. There's a, there may be some smell in the carpet. Some of you might be close by each other. It might be a little different here and there, but you're going to notice something. It is a posture, and I love how leaders lead. If you are a leader here, how you lead is you serve first. You don't get served first. You serve first. In the kingdom of God, it's upside down for this very reason. You get to the ground. You don't stand up. That's the key. If you think you have the answers, you've got another thing coming for you. This is what Jehoshaphat was doing. He got into a posture worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites from the clans of Kohath and Korah stood. I want you to imagine, we're all on the ground smelling the carpet. And you got the priests, the tribe that were priests, standing up, and they praised the Lord in the midst of it. There's some awkward stuff going on. You got, a, you got three enemies coming down. They're 15 miles away, and we're having a worship service. What is going on here? Why are we worshiping God when we should be getting our shields and our swords and our guns and our AKs and getting ready for battle? What is going on? The Levites stood. To, is it the God of Israel? With a very loud shout. See, some of us, that's uncomfortable. I was raised Anglican. I used to make fun of Pentecostals all the time. I didn't get them. Some of it's fake, but some of it's real. But there's something about when God is doing something in your heart, if you are capping it and you are stopping it from flowing out, it's on you. You can say whatever denomination you came from told you that and taught you that. But if God is doing something inside of you, I'm not saying that God cannot do something in the quiet. If you keep doing yourself this when, you know, Paul or others, Ifoma or Rachel or whoever is leading worship, you know, and you feel like your hand's coming up, oh, God's been good this week, and you keep, keep put, 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 it, put it down, put it down, it's raised Anglican, you can't lift your hands in the presence of the Lord, you got to put, put this down. See, if you can't get embarrassed for God in a church, like what do you think is happening out there? Really? What do you think is going to happen when you're trying to witness to somebody in your workplace? You're going to lead them to the Lord, for real? When you can't worship the God before the battle? The battle's not even here. And you can't worship Him? Sometimes when you hear people yelling and screaming, I know it's loud. I know it may be a little obnoxious, but you don't know what that person went through. So you got to go ahead and worship God with a loud shout, not just a loud shout, a very loud shout every now and then. And you're like, man, Psalm 95, one and two says this, O come, let us sing to the Lord. 
Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. And sometimes it ain't like karaoke worship. You just got to do it. You just got to take a praise break and worship God by opening your mouth and just worshiping him and be okay with it. Jehoshaphat, he stays grounded. He takes his position. He announces the victory even before the battle has been won. And then in verse 20, he reminds them. He has a necessary reminder for his people. See, it's just so much like us. We're all hyped up right now. Got your dancing shoes ready to go. If Kunle comes up here and, and tears it up, <laughs> you're about to do laps. <laughs> Hear the reminder. Early the next morning, the army of Judah went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. On the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and said, Listen to me. Why did he do that? People heard from the Lord. People were fasting and praying. People were shouting and dancing. The Levites were standing up and yelling, looking crazy for Jesus. Everyone's believing God's word on a Sunday morning. And then comes the Monday morning madness. We need reminders in our walk with God. Just like Jehoshaphat stopped and said, he said, listen to me, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be able to stand firm. I don't know who this is for today. You need to stop and listen and get a reminder in your soul and your spirit that God is asking you to believe in God and stand firm. There are moments in my life where I couldn't move an inch forward. I couldn't go backwards on God because he's been so faithful. And God is telling you and me, and I want to remind you, sometimes you need to stand firm. You need to stand firm right where you're at and watch what God is about to do. You know, John chapter 11, Lazarus is dead. Verse 40, Martha comes up to Jesus, said, where were you at, Jesus? I mean, don't you smell the death? You're a little late. How many of us go to God and say, you're a little late, God? It's dead now. Who do you think you're talking to? Who do you think you're talking to is what Jesus really wanted to say. He was nice. He was PC. He said, show me where the person's at. And he raises a dead person smelling like death back to life. 
That's what our God can do. That's who He is. Not because we need Him, yes, but that's because who He is. When He is around death, guess what happens when life comes into the room? What do you think happens with evil when good comes into the room? When He is with you, His presence is with you, things have to change. That's who He is. So Jehoshaphat stays grounded, takes his position, humbles himself. He announces the victory before it even happening. He makes necessary reminders for his troops. Hey, guys, I know you're freaking out on what's on the other side. I know we had a Holy Ghost shindig for the last few hours. But I know you're afraid what's on the other side of this wall. When we get there, I want you to know something. Believe in God. Believe in God. Believe in God, and He will deliver you. Next thing He says in verse 21, He <laughs> says, After consulting the people, okay, check that out. What does He do? This great leader. This great king of Israel. He appoints singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. I wonder if there were spies from the three armies watching them do this. <laughs> Look at them crazy people of God. I wonder if there's people in the army being like, What are we doing? Did King Jehoshaphat lose his mind? Is he on drugs? What is going on? Why are we sending the choir ahead? Of, they're going to get slaughtered. This is what they sang. Oh, I love this. In quotations, Scripture tells us, Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures. Ever. No matter what God answers and doesn't answer in this life, His faithful love endures forever. You can count on the love of God never leaving you. He will never leave you or forsake you. No matter what you're facing here today, God's faithful love endures forever. At that very moment, they began to sing and give praise. The Lord, the Lord caused, I don't even know if they knew how to explain this because it sounds crazy. The Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting amongst themselves. They're on the mountaintop, looking into the valley, the valley of crisis. The valley of despair, the valley of death, the valley of bad news. And there it is. The bad news is fighting each other. That's what God can do. So the armies of Moab and Ammon turn against 
their allies. I've seen God do this time and time again. And I don't know how he does it, but he does it. It just happens when you're in the will of God. If you're his son or daughter today, and you've got some bad news today, God can turn it around. He can use the bad news against another bad news. That's the kind of God he we serve. After they had destroyed the army of Seir, they began attacking each other. So when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, all they saw were dead bodies. You know what I like about that? It wasn't just that they were alive and captured. God finished it. He can finish it. He ain't going to give you a half miracle. There was nothing left for them to do. They didn't need to go ahead and get to the dead body. This one's alive. Stab. That's not what scripture teaches. They went straight to the dead body. And they're like, everyone's dead. Not a single one of the enemy had escaped. King Jehoshaphat and his men went out to, to get the plunder. They found vast amounts of equipment, clothing, and other valuables more than they could carry. There was so much plunder that it took them three days to collect it all. On the fourth day, they gathered in the valley of blessing. The place that they thought was a crisis. This valley, just like the valleys of our life, the places of our life that we want to escape so bad. God, get me out of this valley. Put me on the mountaintop, God. God says, if you hand me your valley of crisis and learn how to pray and praise, the battle is not, is not yours, it's mine, says the Lord. Some of us need to hear that. And he will take your valley of crisis and make it a valley of blessing. That's who he is. He can. If I want you to get something from the message today, it's this. God can take your valley of crisis and make it a valley of blessing. So next time you're in a valley, or maybe you're in a valley here today, don't try to escape the valley. You, you may be escaping your blessing. Hang in there. Let's pray today. God, I thank you so much for your goodness. I thank you for the valleys of our lives. Oh, I thank you, God, that you're giving us strength and you're giving us ability to stand firm, to stand firm in the valley of crisis. And so we rely on you, Jesus, when we're hearing these news and the enemies are coming against us. Maybe it's cancer here today. Maybe it's divorce here today. Maybe it's things that are happening that if someone found out, they just wouldn't be around. I pray right now that you'd begin to position us not in a posture to fight, but in a posture to listen to you and to stand firm with what you are saying and with what you're doing. So God, I pray right now, in Jesus' name, I speak life over these dry bones. In the name of Jesus, we speak life over these valleys. 
over these crises. In the name of Jesus, I break every curse on people here that hear the sound of my voice. Would you do what only you can do, God? Change the valley of crisis to the valley of blessing in Jesus' name. Do what only you can do. So we will praise you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If you're here today and you're far from God, friend, I want to ask you today, would you accept God to be part of your life, to give you purpose, a new purpose, not just a new home in heaven, but a new purpose, a new purpose. If that's you today and you, this is your first time maybe being around a church, maybe it's your first time in a long time and you used to know God and now you're far from Him. Friend, God loves you. His loving kindness surrounds you right now. And right where you're at, you just need to open your heart. And you're going to allow Him to come in and He'll tell you what you need to do. You don't have to worry about getting clean just yet. You just need to go ahead and allow Him to come into your valley. So that's you today. I just want you to pray a prayer that says, God, I accept the work of the cross. I believe in the cross. Would you come and be Lord of my life? What does the word Lord mean? It means that every decision you make goes through Jesus first. So Jesus, I pray that you wash this person with your love and with the new covenant of your blood. And not, not only will this person be in heaven, God, but I pray right now they would sense your presence and purpose. Lord, for my brothers and sisters who are going through real valleys, this is not just a theory, God, but the real pain, I pray right now, God, you would give them strength to stand firm. Stand firm knowing that you have their best interest in mind. Lord, I pray that you would begin to put in their heart a similar song, a song that says, thank you, Jesus. Your faithful love endures forever. It endures forever. So fill them up with love, Jesus. For those that are here, that their heart it's, it's, it's tainted, it's jaded, it's hurt. I pray for those insecurities, for those fears. Right now, reveal it to your people. Help them, give them strength. Right now, in the name of Jesus, to address it, to give it to you first, and then to take next steps towards being a healthier follower of Jesus. Thank you for your presence, Lord. Thank you for your presence, Lord.